All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Micah. The book of Micah, what we want to try to do is after looking at this book today, I want us to be able to answer two questions. Two questions. One of them has to do with who God is, and the other one has to do with what we should do. So the first question determines the second. Who God is, because this is who God is, this is how we should live, this is what we should do. So that's what we're going to do as we walk through this book. Now listen, we've spent a lot of time in Micah. Micah uh, was a prophet in the 700s B.C., about 2,700 years ago, and he was speaking to a people much like a people today. Things were going well, but people were rebelling against God, walking away from God, going after idols, and God was about to judge. And so Micah gives a warning. He has a lot to say about who God is and what God's people should be doing. And so we need this message. I want us to open up our eyes and our hearts to hear from him today and then live accordingly. We want a big picture of who our God is because that changes what we do. All right, so let's pray and then we'll do work. Father, thank you for your word. Help us see you from how we see you in the book of Micah. Help us see you with fresh eyes, fresh hearts. Help us behold your glory. Lord, I pray that you help us walk with you. Help us do justice. Help us love kindness. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so because we spent a lot of time here, we're going to do a flyby of the book. There's seven chapters in the book of Micah. Seven chapters in the book of Micah. And what you see right off the bat in chapter 1, you see the people are not walking humbly with God. They are starting to run after idols and carved images. And so you see this in chapter 1, uh, verse 2, right off the bat. Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. And let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from His holy temple. Behold, the Lord is coming out of His place. Why is the Lord moving because he looks on his people who have been called to worship him and yet they're running after idols. One of the requirements that God has for his people is that they walk with him. And so my question to you this morning, are you walking with God? I asked Camden uh, that one of the nights this week, hey, what does it look like to walk with God? What does it look like to walk with God? Simple question. Changes your life if you know how to walk with God. And so she answered great, great answers. Uh, well, you, you got to talk to Him, right? So she said prayer. If you're walking with God, you're dependent on Him. You're going to see it in how we pray. You're going to hear from God. You're going to read the Bible, expecting God to talk to you, speak through His Word. She mentioned serving. She mentioned going to church, right? We gather together. Kind of, even through COVID. It's a gathering. Walk humbly with God. We'll come back to this in just a little bit, but Micah chapter 1 shows a people that are not walking with God. They've created images and idols, and they're running after those things. We have to be careful, because our hearts are idol factories as well. Now, none of us might be carving images and following after them, but 
We carve out a job and worship that job. Or we carve out a person and worship that relationship. Or we carve out a pay raise and worship the wealth that comes through that. Or a vehicle and worship that car. We do the same things. And you're going to see this happening in the Old Testament, New Testament today. God's people are always prone to run after idols instead of walking humbly with God. And that's what you see in Micah chapter 1. Then we move on, Micah chapter 2. What's happening? So not only are the people not walking with God, but they are also not loving kindness. Instead, they're devising wickedness and doing evil. Right off the bat, chapter 2, woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil in their beds. Right, So they stay up late at night devising schemes. How can I get this? How can I get over on this person? Staying up late at night. Why? When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. Because they're able to do it. They're able to do it. And so what do they do? They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. They go after it. So it would be like this. Mike, they like your shoes. And so they're going to figure out a way. Oh, Mike has practice during this time. I can sneak in that locker room. I'll take his shoes. And then they do it. They might like someone's house. Well, I'll tell you what. We'll raise the price on this house so they can't afford it. We'll take that house, devise a wicked plan so they can't pay, and take it. And so there's all sorts of ways people are devising wicked schemes in order to take what is not theirs. Same thing's happening today. And the list goes on and on in Micah chapter 2. They covet fields and seize them, covet houses and take them. They oppress a man in his home. But here's the point, they don't get away with it. They do not get away with it. And this is something very, very important. Because a lot of times, and what I hear today, is there's the idea that somebody can do something evil and wicked and get away with it. And verse 3 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, against this family I'm devising disaster, from which you cannot remove your necks, and you shall not walk haughtily. Right? So, so get the idea of somebody walking around, Ha! I got away with that. Nobody saw that. There's some things that you can do that no one will know in your lifetime. And you may think you're getting away with something. But guess what happens? Death is not the end. It's appointed for us to die once, and then what? Judgment. And God sees everything we do. Nobody gets away with anything. God will make the wrong right. Justice is coming. And we see in chapter 2, the people, God's people, are not loving kindness. We have that same problem today. We'll hit that a little bit later. Chapter 3. Not only are they not walking humbly with God or loving kindness, they're not doing justice. Instead of doing justice, which God has called them to do, they are hating good and doing evil. They are hating what is good and doing what is evil. Check out uh, verse 1, and we'll read down to... And listen, this is a graphic depiction of what is going on. And Micah is doing this on purpose. Right? When there is injustice, it destroys a people. And so we read this, and I said, Here, you heads of Jacob, rulers of the house of Israel. Right? He's saying, Hey, you guys in leadership positions, there's an expectation that they do something, and this is it. Is it not for you to know justice? Is it not for you to know 
justice. He's coming to the leaders of his people and saying, you should know what is right and what is wrong, what I expect. But instead, you hate the good and love the evil. And then he keeps going. Who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones. Who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off of them. And break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. He's painting a picture. He's saying you're not getting it. You who should know justice, but do not do justice. And it's amazing how even in the Old Testament, not much has changed when you get to the New Testament. Who does Jesus have the most trouble with? The religious leaders. Who are oppressing widows. Who have no idea how to love their neighbor. So my question to you is, do you think that what happened in the Old Testament and what is happening in the New Testament could also be happening today? I do. I do. And so that's chapter 3. The people that should have known justice don't. And so judgment is coming. And that's the, the roller coaster ride we are on all throughout Micah. You should walk humbly with God. You don't. Judgment's coming. You should love kindness. You don't. Therefore, judgment is coming. You should know justice and do justice. You don't, so judgment is coming. And then you get to chapter 4, and it's an awesome picture. It's called the mountain of the Lord. And what is happening is God is establishing His kingdom. And people will flow to this mountain to know what God expects and what God demands from His people. There's a hunger to know God and His ways. I wish we had that. I wish we, do you have that? Is there a hunger in your heart to know what God has for you in your life? Does He direct your steps? Do you wake up in the morning with your thought on, God, direct me today? Or do you wake up in the morning, catching up on the news, trying to get to work, trying to get to school? Who directs your steps? How hungry are you to run to God? And so you have this picture that is painted in chapter 4 of this mountain of the Lord, and he's establishing his kingdom. Uh, the weapons are gone. Instead of swords, they're plows. Peace is reigning and ruling. When Jesus establishes his kingdom, there is no military needed. God speaks, and it's happening. Peace covers the earth. That's a day I long for. And we see that it's the Lord that rescues. If you look down in chapter 4, I think this is an interesting uh, a verse that, that is in here. In chapter, verse, chapter 4, verse 10, we hear Micah says, There you shall be rescued. And so he's talking about judgment, taken into captivity. And he's saying, hey, while you're a captive, you'll be rescued. How? Will there be some mighty army that comes and rescues me? Will the Navy SEALs have a plan and, and come and rescue me? How will I be rescued in captivity? He goes on, there the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. That's a beautiful picture of the gospel. Right? We are captive to our sin, stuck in our transgressions. We are dead in our trespasses. And from there, Jesus comes and rescues us, redeems us, buys us out of bondage, sets us free so we can live for God. Then we keep moving. Chapter 5, you see a ruler and a shepherd, and it's the same person. All the way, 700, before, 700 years before Jesus shows up, 
Micah says, hey, there's a ruler coming from Bethlehem. And we know, looking back, that this is Jesus, the greatest ruler ever to live. And you see this in chapter 2, but you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be named among the clans of Judah, right? There's nothing special about you, but somebody's coming that's special from you. And it's, it talks about how your coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. It talks about how Jesus is eternally God. He's going to make things right. And Micah is speaking in a time where everything is wrong. Sometimes we forget that. We look around today and we see everything that is wrong, but what we need to hope in and rest in that Jesus, the same Jesus that Micah is talking about here, the ruler coming from Bethlehem, is reigning and ruling and establishing his kingdom, and one day he will return. And there will be no more enemies. There will be no more injustice. There will be no more sin. He will establish his kingdom, and he will reign forever and ever and ever. And then we keep going. We see the shepherd. And it's a beautiful picture. Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. The shepherd protects his sheep, stands with his sheep, works for his sheep, guides his sheep, rescues his sheep. That's what Jesus does for his people. And in Micah's day, the people were running off, going crazy, getting lost, in danger. They needed a shepherd. In our day, the same is true. And then we, we keep reading. You get to chapter 6, there's an indictment. It, it's like a courtroom. And the mountains are the jury, and God says, hey, look at how I've saved you in the past, out of Egypt. And he just lists how he saved them, time after time after time after time. Now, this is important because he says, because I saved you in the past, you should know that I am able to save you in the future. But in the meantime, he gets to verse 6 to 8, and he's like, so what do I require of you? Because of this great salvation, what's required of you? He says, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Right? He's saying, do you have to bring all of your stuff and lay it down before God? No, this is what the Lord requires. Verse 8, it's told you what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And Micah has laid out exactly how they have not done that. Are we doing that? Do we do justice? Do we love kindness? Do we walk with God? The requirements haven't changed. The same God that requires people to do that in 700 B.C. is the same God that requires his people to do that today. So you see the requirements, and then you see the destruction of the wicked, and then you see Micah is waiting for salvation because he understands he has sin that he cannot pay for. So it paints a picture of how God will be the one who does the saving. He doesn't rely on himself to do enough good. He relies on his God for salvation. And so I want us to, to spend now the next few moments tackling those two questions. Who is this God? How should we walk? Who is this God? How should we walk? Because if you catch the first one, you can do the second one. And I feel like a lot of us are bored when it comes to God. We get a lot more excited about things that have no eternal value than we do a God who we will worship for eternity. And so I want us, like Micah, he, he gets to the end of his book and he's blown away by the picture of God. He's like, who is a God like this? There is no God like our God. I want us to get to that point in our hearts, in our minds today. And so, so let's see this. 
You get to verse 7 of, of chapter 7, and Micah says, But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do you see his confidence? Because right now he's saying, hey, we're going to go in exile. We need someone to rescue us. And he says, I know God will hear me. And then we keep going. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. You ever fallen? You need a help up, a hand up. God's there. When I sit in darkness, who will bring me out to the light? The Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. That's very, very important for us to get to. Until we realize that we do not deserve God's mercy, we will not experience his grace. We don't bring anything to God that he should be on our side. We bring sin and rebellion. We deserve wrath and judgment. That's what Micah got. He's like, I know I don't deserve this. And he's like, this indignation, God, is on me. When I looked out and I was speaking to a people who didn't walk humbly with you, who weren't exercising love and kindness, who weren't doing justice, I saw them, but I also saw me. And he's saying, your judgment is on me. That's the first step of the gospel. If we're going to be blown away by the grace of God, we have to understand that none of us deserve the grace of God. We were enemies to God, and yet Jesus comes for us. There is no one like our God. So he says, because I've sinned against him, what happens? Until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. Did you guys catch that? So Mike is saying, hey, I'm stuck here, indignation, God's wrath on me, until he pleads my case, until he pleads my cause, and executes judgment not on me, but for me. How does that happen? What is Micah pointing to here? We know he's pointing to the cross. God, God has judged my sin, not on me, because that would take me all eternity to pay. Right? God's judgment on me for all eternity. God's wrath was on me. But because Jesus came, God pours his wrath out, his judgment out on Christ so that in Christ now there's no more judgment. So he exercised judgment for me. And then the last part of verse 9, he will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Now that is true of me personally, and it will be true. And this is what I mean. As of right now, I am saved by grace because of what Jesus has done for me. But one day, one day I will either die and go meet him face to face or he will return and call me up. Either way, I will be vindicated on that day. When I stand before God as judge, he will not see my sin. He will see his son's righteousness and I will be vindicated. He will say, come home, my good and faithful servant. Not because I am good, but because Jesus is is great. You want to see it? I would. I would want to see that. Right? That promise is the greatest thing life has to offer you. That God can and will and has provided salvation for his people. And I want you to see it. Don't miss it. So in verse 18, who is a God like you? Who is a God like you? That's what Micah is asking. He's saying this is who God is. He pardons iniquity and passing 
over transgression. For the remnant of his inheritance, he does not retain his anger forever. Because he delights in steadfast love, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. underfoot. And then he goes, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. That's a big deal. You ever done anything you regret? You ever hurt somebody? You ever not walked with God? You know what God does? He takes that sin and he buries it. And he doesn't bring it back up. He doesn't embarrass you with it. He doesn't condemn you with it. It's paid for because of Christ. Look at the similarities. When you get to Romans, Paul speaking, Romans 3.23. Go ahead and put that uh, passage up on the, the screen so they can see it as we read it. Look at the similarities of Micah 7, 18 and 19, and Romans 3, 23 to 26. So, so check this out. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the bad news, right? God's indignation is on me. We've all missed the mark. We've all missed God's glory. But we're justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's vindication right there. Who God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, all the way back in 700 B.C., He passed over former sins. How? Because He put Christ forward to pay for Him. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So when you see this movement for justice, you have to understand one thing. Nobody is more concerned with justice than God. God will not sweep your sin under the rug. Can you imagine that? Right? Everything I've done wrong, I meet God and He says, you know what? It's not that big a deal. Come on in. But then, let's say, Mike, I'll use you again. Right? Mike, you know what? You did this, this, and this. What? You know what? But you messed up that's right, come on in. And then we get to Sean. Sean comes up and he's like, oh, Sean, you did this, this, and this really well. But you know what? You weren't perfect. See ya. Would that be just? Wouldn't be. But what does God say? He is just. You want to know what? He doesn't allow sin into his presence. And so if he was just, he would say, hey, Ben, Mike, Sean, you don't get in. Someone had to pay for our sin. I can't pay for my sin because I'm the one that sinned. Mike can't pay for his sin because he's the one who sinned. Sean can't pay for his sin because he's the one who sinned. So he sets Jesus to do just that. And now in Christ, my sins are paid for. And so God is just and letting me into his kingdom because he has justified me. And that happens through faith in Christ. Now, here's my question. Who is a God like that? Who is a God like that? There is no God like that. Who loves you so much, that loving kindness, that loyal covenantal love filled with mercy to say, hey, you know what? You're stuck in your sin, but I'm coming for you. Jesus lays aside heaven, comes to earth, born in Bethlehem, in a stable, not a very special spot, and he says he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. To die so that you and I can experience the favor of God 
instead of his wrath. Who is a God like that? There is no God like that. Do you see his compassion? Do you see the length Jesus goes for you? And so when you see that, that's the God we worship. That compassion, pardoning our sin, throwing our sin and bearing it into the sea. Do you feel that relief and that joy and that hope, the peace? That all comes from Christ. There is no God like our God. And then, because that is who God is, how should we walk? And and we'll summarize this rather quickly. Number one, you see that with due justice. This is Micah 6, verse 8. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice? And and I want to mention uh, just a couple of things with this. Tim Keller brings up uh, some helpful guidelines when we talk about doing justice. When we talk about doing justice, he, he mentions three things. Number one, three aspects of bib- biblical justice means justice means equal treatment. Justice means equal treatment. And, and this is what I mean. I'll use this example. Um, Friday, we're passing out. i got to be careful. We're passing out uh, MacBooks, and I'm wearing my, my face mask, but I'm out in the sun. I'm going to start getting tan lines like this. So i got to be careful with that. But we're passing out MacBooks. We're meeting families as they come by, and everything's going good but then mom comes by and she has a freshman high school student she shows up and I can tell she's already got some anxiety or some angst going to say hey I'm here to sign so-and-so up I need to pick up his MacBook and uh, she goes but I'm a little bit worried and I'm thinking oh this is just a, a freshman mom she's worried she'll be all right um, but she goes uh, I've got a preschooler um, and, and then I've got a kindergartner and a second grader and we're all online and I'm stuck at home but I don't have Wi-Fi at my house. And then she goes, Wi-Fi is coming through Cincinnati Bell, but it won't be ready till November, December, and there'll be a semester behind. Now, most of us in the room have Wi-Fi, right? So, so my girls don't worry about Wi-Fi. I would say many of your children don't worry about Wi-Fi. Is that just? No. So guess what we get to do? So I said, hey, I'll tell you what, I know a place that has Wi-Fi right now. Redemption Church, right down here on 17th Street, we have Wi-Fi. And I thought it was interesting, she mentioned, you know, I went to the school and they said, we'll get to the library. And uh, she goes, that's easy to say, except that I work during the day, first shift, to pay our bills and to get groceries, and I don't trust my freshmen to handle a preschool, kindergarten, first grader to the library. And, And you know what, I don't blame her. Downtown library, trying to catch a bus, trying to get there, trying to get back. That's a lot. That's a lot for a parent. Listen, I'm lucky if I go somewhere and don't leave one of my older girls alone and by themselves and forget about them. I can only imagine a ninth grader having to do that. So there wasn't a quick fix. It wasn't just a simple, just go to a hot spot, go to McDonald's, go to... And so I said, you know what? Somebody at our church would be able to come up, pick your kids up once a week, come to the church, tutor you, catch you up for that week, bring you home, right? And so I gave her my number and and said, give me a text, call me, whatever you need. All right, now I haven't heard back now. This is what I'm banking on. I'm banking on as a church, we're actually serious about doing justice and not just something that we'll post online so we get cool points. I hope we actually do it. And I actually know people that will do that. Why? Because we've done it in the past. 
not a big deal for us. We want to walk. When we see, oh, you know what? That's not equal. That's not just. Let's step into that and do justice. And so equal treatment. Number two, not only does biblical justice mean equal treatment, it means to the vulnerable populations, they should get a special concern. Now, this is controversial. There's a lot of people that disagree with this. The only problem is the Bible teaches this. When God brings up looking out for people, guess who he brings up? Look out for the widow, the orphan, and the oppressed. Those are vulnerable populations. You want to know why you do that? Because they can't stand up for themselves. You see that in Micah, right? The, the rich people are paying money so they can get a favorable response or a favorable prayer from the priest. Guess what the poor person can't do? Pay for that good report. And so we need to see and give special concern to those who are down and out because those are the people that the world will take advantage of, but the church should stand up for. And I, it just blows my mind how controversial this is. When churches get mad and say, hey, you know what, you shouldn't be a part of the social gospel and, and all this stuff. And I understand that. But I also know we serve a God who is compassionate. And His compassion is personal to me. His compassion has changed my life. Therefore, I will show compassion to those who are vulnerable. I will speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. I will defend those who cannot defend themselves. And I don't care if you've got a problem with that. Because I've got to walk with God. So, hey, just, just a verse. Just a verse to check this out. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9. says, open your mouth for the mute. Why do you think in the wisdom of Proverbs, they say open your mouth for the mute? Because they can't do it for themselves. And God really cares for the people He created in His image. And He expects those who know Him to speak up on their behalf. And so he says, speak up for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So biblical justice means equal treatment, means paying special concern to vulnerable populations, but then finally it also means generosity. And all of us in the room are called to be generous. This is also very controversial because we live in the United States we are driven to be individualistic. I worked hard. I got the promotion. I'm smart. I worked for my money. I'll give some to God, but he doesn't have any claim on the rest of it. The only problem is, you know what God says? It's all mine. It's all mine. I will hold you accountable for the resources I have given you. We're called to be a steward. We're called to be generous. When you see the grace and the generosity of God, that he gave what? His son, that you and I might have life? That's generous. And those that know God and walk with God will be generous people. This is a non-negotiable. I want us as a church to be a generous people. All right, so number one, we will do justice. Number two... We will love kindness. And, and I think um, if you're going to be about biblical justice and, and you're going to march for justice, all three of these have to be in play. Uh, Mike, you want to go ahead and put up the board? All three of these have to be in play. You have to do justice, but then 
you also have to hold in balance loving kindness. Loving kindness. And I think this is what's missing. Right? When I see people protesting and, and somebody loses their life, there's not much loving kindness there. There's not much care. There's not much compassion. And so we were able to uh, talk, and I'll just, I'll just hit a couple of examples. A couple of examples. Uh, this past week we were talking with our football team about everything that's going on, and we have a coach, Coach Turner, that mentioned, you know what, when I was growing up, I went to a water fountain, I was five years old, I went to a water fountain, I took a drink, and my mom smacked me. And he's like, Mom, I'm thirsty, I had to get a drink. And she's like, boy, your water fountain is over here. And point to a sign that said color. That's Coach Turner coaching for us today, living through that segregation. Separate but equal. Right? And then he says, I also remember going to restaurants that I enjoyed eating, and I couldn't go through the front door. I had to pick up my food at the back door. And so you're hearing this, right? I'm hearing this. Football team's hearing this. And you see that. And because you're close, you see, and now I want you to think of the slogan that is catching and so popular now, Make America Great Again. Now, for me, okay, Make America Great Again, I guess, when was it, when was it, when was it the best? When was America the greatest? At its inception? Because there's a population that disagrees with that. Maybe it was during convict leasing times after slavery, when they would arrest you for not being able to pay bills, so you go to jail and then they'll pay the jailer to make a lot of money and use your workforce. Maybe it was during the separate but equal. 60s and 50s, were those great times for us? Not for everybody. Not for Coach Turner. And you want to know what's happened? Proximity helps us with loving kindness. The closer you get to those who are suffering, the easier it is to see injustice and to operate out of love and kindness. When those who are being oppressed have a face and a name, then our hearts will operate out of love and kindness. I'll give you another example. I worked security for three years at Holmes High School, and it was my fear that there would be a fight, but I wouldn't be around to break it up fast enough. Right? So let's say, Camden, go ahead, stand up front real quick. Let's say Camden's running her mouth, running her mouth, and she's going to pick a fight with Jaqueline, right? So she picks a fight with Jaqueline, and Jaqueline smacks you and beats you up, but security, I'm over here, right? So they're going at it. Let's say they've been wrestling around for five minutes. I'm over here. Does that affect me? Does that wrestle? No, I don't know about it. Don't care about it. Now, I'm right here. Camden's running her mouth. Jaqueline says, oh yeah, starts taking her fingernails off, putting her hair up. All of a sudden, they start throwing down, right? I'm here. Now, the question isn't, do I know about it? I know about it. The question is, will I operate out of loving kindness? Do I care about Camden? Do I care about Jaqueline? Right? There were some fights I got there, and you're like, no, I don't like either of these two guys. We should let them go. I didn't. But when you're there, here's the awesome opportunity. You can operate out of love and kindness. I don't want to see Jaqueline get hurt. I don't want to see Camden get hurt. So I move, and it risks, right? You risk injury, breaking up fight. But you move in, 
and you break it up, get them back to peace. All right, go sit down. That's what the church is called to do. That's what the church is called to do. That's what loving kindness is all about. So what I want us to do as a church, I want us to get close to people who are suffering. I want us to, I'll give you an example. So, and here's the cool part. At Redemption Church, we have police officers that come here, worship here, that I really, really care about. Deep relationships, great, great, great people who love Jesus. I want you to hear this, what we found out Friday. Or I guess it was a Friday a week ago. We're talking to our football team, and every white guy on our football team, when they get pulled over, are not nervous. Now listen, when I get pulled over, I'm a little bit nervous because I've done either three things. I've sped, I didn't use a blinker, or I didn't buckle up my seatbelt. Right? And that stinks. I'm not afraid. When I listen to our black athletes, every one of them, so they're terrified. I'm afraid. Whether they say or what they're, they're thinking, and it is, that shouldn't be, that's something wrong. That's so, so as a Covington Police Department, we've got to figure something out, loving kindness to a population in our community. Because if you're called to protect and serve, which our police department is, a large population, a segment of our population is terrified of you, there's something wrong. And so what's God's remedy? To do justice, love, and kindness. And then we got this last one. To walk humbly with God. This one I think a lot of people forget about. This one I think a lot of people, to walk humbly with God, uh, I want you to get in mind uh, Jesus with the disciples. So what happens when you walk with God? Who gets to call the shots? You or Jesus? Jesus, right? So he gets to, to Peter, James, John, Andrew. He says, hey, follow me. What were they doing? They were fishing. And the Bible says that they left everything to follow Jesus. Jesus sets the direction of your life. He sets the agenda. He's the number one priority in your life if you are walking humbly with God. Jesus is your direction. And so when I see the Black Lives Matter movement and I see their beliefs, I agree with the statement, Black Lives Matter. But I will not get on board with the movement. I, I believe that God created us male and female. I'm not going to push a transgender movement. I believe that God has organized the family unit, a husband and a wife, and I will not get on with a movement that destroys the nuclear family. I also believe that Jesus reigns and that no amount of power that we get will ever take the place of God in our lives. So I can't get on board with the movement. But you want to know what I am uh, disappointed with? How quiet the church is during this. You want to know why there's a Black Lives Movement? Because there's not a church movement. There hasn't been a revival. The fact that this is actual controversy that uh, we can't stand up for people who are hurting is a problem. Where is the church? Who's speaking up for the oppressed and the orphan and the widow? It's awful quiet, isn't it? So I'll leave you with this little, little illustration. Mike, I need your help up here. We're going to play tic-tac-toe. All right? Now, I don't know how good you are at tic-tac-toe. 
I'll go first. I'll be X. All right. So we'll put these up. You know how to play tic-tac-toe, right? Most people in the room know how to play tic-tac-toe. I'm going to go first. Go ahead and tear you off a, a long piece. You can be the circle. But I think the best spot on the board to go for tic-tac-toe is the middle. Hey, just get a long piece, and then we'll just wrap it around. Is the middle. All right, so I'm in the middle. We'll say, we'll say that is doing justice, right? That X represents doing justice. Mike's circles. Now listen, I, I gave him circles because it's hard to, to do. Try to get that into a circular form. It, it might be more of a square, but, but we'll get the point, right? That's exactly how I was going to do that. Seriously, just push it down. It'll be like, it'll be like a circle. All right, Mike picked a, a decent spot on the board. Hey, Mike, tear off two more X's for me. Two more X's for me. I'll go right here. Or, yeah, just, just two more. Just, just pull me off two more real quick. I'll, I'll explain. All right, so this will be doing justice. This will be loving kindness. But you, you know what? I know how to play tic-tac-toe. I'm going to make this a little bit bigger, right? I'm going to start focusing more on, on doing justice. And, and you know what? Game over. Did I win? No. But you know what? A lot of people are living their lives like this. I'm going to be, ah, I'm going to do justice. I'm going to speak. I'm going to do all this, do all this, do all this, do all this. But we don't focus too much on love and kindness. When you get to the election, hear how people talk about each other. As a follower of Christ, I'm going to be lovingly kind to both sides of the parties. Our salvation is not in a Republican or a Democrat. You guys know that, right? Our salvation is in God. And so we're going to speak to both parties and point them to salvation in Christ, not in Trump or Biden. And so I'm not going to say, hey, I'm going to emphasize this, this, this. I'm going to do ah, And then forget about loving kindness or God's out of the picture. Because you want to know what the most frustrating thing is? Trying to do justice without walking with the God of justice. There is no justice apart from God. What you think is right and what I think is right might be completely different. But God has a word. And he is the final judge. And that's the justice I want. All right, go ahead. Next circle. <laughs> so to win, you got the tape, Mike. To win, you need how many in a row? Three. I'll let you go next since you're doing great with your, your O's. Put one more up there. I'll go here. You go there. Go ahead and win the game. <laughs> right? So I just want you to see this. When you hear people and they're talking about, hey, you need to stand up for this, and you need to do this, and you need to do that, I want you to remember something as silly as, as a tic-tac-toe game at, at Redemption Church with crazy-looking circles. Thanks, Mike. You can sit down. With crazy circles, and I want you to think, if you are going to do biblical justice, there's three, three things required. Three things required. What are they? Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with God. You can't do it any other way. Can't do it any other way. Now, here's the cool part. If you're walking with Jesus, if you're walking with Jesus, I'm not saying go to church, because there's a lot of church people that have never, ever operated out of loving kindness and doing justice. 
But if you're walking with Jesus, you're going to find that you're called to serve. You're going to find yourself doing justice. You're going to find yourself having mercy on people across the globe. And this is, this is my last warning. Micah had the problem with it in his day. People that should have known justice didn't. People that should have operated out of love and kindness were actually using the people. Jesus has the same problem. You remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? You know who he was talking to, right? He was talking to church people. Saying, hey, I, I do everything right. What do I have to do to have eternal life? Jesus says, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And they're like, oh, okay, that's a great answer. Go and do that. And then he asks another question, but who's my neighbor? Because he thought he was doing it. And Jesus blows him away. He's like, oh, I've got to love that person too. We've got to be very, very careful because I don't think too much has changed in people. So be very, very careful, especially in the time that we're living. Look at the opportunities that we have. If anyone has a word for this time, it is God. And if we're going to be representatives of God on this planet, don't do your own agenda. Follow His word. Follow Jesus. Do justice. Love kindness. Walk with Him. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, there is no God like You. Salvation is available because of what Jesus has done. You are just in calling us freed from sin because of what Christ has done for us. And You're also the justifier who paid for our sin. Help us rest in that salvation. Help us be overjoyed with that salvation. Help us think deeply on that truth. There is no God like you. Move our hearts when we worship. Help us remember your compassion. And then, Father, I pray that we're a reflection of you to this community and to those across the globe. Help us do justice. Help us love kindness and help us walk with you. You are our hope and our salvation. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.